Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our, um, you're, you're there in Genesis chapter number 29. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Genesis in our Patriarch series. To Just to give you a little bit of background uh, to, re, to remind you where we're at. Uh, basically, the Patriarch series is a series we've been going through on Sunday nights, learning about and studying the lives of the patriarchs, the men that kind of got this whole thing started. And uh, we went through the life of Abraham and we went through the life of Isaac. And we now are in uh, the life of Jacob. And basically, we just left off with Jacob running away from home. Jacob is going to Laban, his uncle, because he deceived and he lied and he manipulated uh, his father in regards to pretending to be his brother Esau. That's where we're picking up the story in Genesis 29. And I want to I show you several things here uh, in regards to this. There, there's kind of two major things I want to deal with tonight, and uh, we'll see how far we get into it. I might deal with something and then we'll kind of shift gears into a different subject. But I want you to notice uh, J- Jacob is generally thought of as a weak man. Jacob is generally, when, when you compare him to Esau, you know, Esau was this hunter and Jacob uh, uh, stayed in the tent. Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was a smooth man. And a lot of times people get this idea that Jacob was kind of weak, or Jacob was kind of lame, or Jacob was a mama's boy, you know, because, uh, because Isaac favored Esau, and Rebekah favored uh, Jacob. But what's interesting is, in this chapter, we see three characteristics of manhood, and we see them in the this, in this story of Jacob. But here's, here's what's interesting, you know, and here's what I think, and here's what I've noticed, and, and, and about specifically about these three things that we're going to look at tonight, is all of these characteristics, when it comes to manhood, are under attack. I don't know if you know it, but just manhood is under attack in general, you know, in our society. It's like, oh, it's bad to be a man now. You know, it's not accepted. It's not socially acceptable. They're trying to make everybody just be like the same, you know, sex, you know. And here's the thing with Jacob. It's interesting that in his story, we see these three characteristics of manhood. And then Jacob is the one that gets attacked, you know, and and we're told that he wasn't a man. But notice, you'll find... Three characteristics. I want you to notice them. You're there in Genesis 29. Look down at verse number 1. We don't have to be very long tonight. We'll move as quickly as we can. Look at verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. And a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And hither were all the flocks gathered. And they rolled stones from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth. his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? This was before the days of, uh, you know, GPSs and things like that. So he's showing up and he's trying to figure out where where am I? You know, I just came into town. He said, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. That's where he was trying to go. Look at verse 5. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor. That's who he's trying to find. And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day. Neither is it time for the cattle, uh, that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. So notice what Jacob says. He says, hey, you know, it's, it, it, this isn't the time to be bringing things in and, and, and getting ready to go home. It's right in the middle of the day. He said, what are you guys doing? Just, you know, gathering and kind of hanging out. Why don't you water, water the sheep and go on your way and get back to work? Notice verse 8. And they said, we cannot. Until all the flocks be gathered together. Till, now I want you to notice what it says. Till they, that's plural, roll the stone from the well's mouth when we water the sheep. 
And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for they kept uh, for she kept the sheep, for she kept them. So I want you to get the picture. You've got all these different shepherds and these different sheep being gathered together. They're all around the well, and they're all just kind of hanging out. And Jacob's like, what are you guys doing? You know, why are you waiting? Why don't you just water the sheep and get on your way? And they said, the, the stone that they placed to, to, to cover the well, it, it's too heavy. It's too big. We, we have to wait till everybody comes, and then we all work together. They said, till they roll a stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. They said, it's too big for us to carry on our own. We all have to work together. Notice verse 10. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel... All right. Now he's 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 showing off a little bit here, but he's you know he's a single guy and he's trying to impress this girl. She's coming, right? Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his uh, mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near. Notice what he does by himself and rolled a stone from the well's mouth. So one man, Jacob, rolls a stone that they're waiting for several people to do together. And it says that he rolled a stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And here's the first thing I want you to notice from this story. Jacob was a strong man. I mean, to be able to just physically remove that stone on his own. Everyone else is like, well, we got to wait. We got to do it together. And then Rachel's coming and he's like, I'm going to show off. You know, and he grabs that stone and just, you know, and I don't know how dramatic he was about it, but he, he probably, you know, grunted a little bit because I guess what guys do when they lift, right? They grunt and they sweat or whatever. And he goes and he moves the stone. But here's what I want you to know. You'll notice in the Bible as you read the Bible and keep your place there in Genesis 29. That's the text for tonight. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter number 50. Jeremiah chapter 50, towards the end of the Old Testament, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Find Jeremiah 50. You know what you'll find in the Bible, and it's kind of interesting? It's this, that strength in man is always a positive thing. It's never negative. It's never a negative thing in the Bible where, where God looks at a man and he says, you're strong? You know, like, what's wrong with you? It's always a positive. In fact, one of God's judges, Samson, God gave supernatural strength to be able to do the things that he called him to do. And, and please don't misunderstand me, okay? Because here's what I've noticed with Christians is they, they take things to uh, an extreme that sometimes it's unhealthy. I'm not saying that we ought to be bodybuilders, okay? I'm not saying that, you know, that's kind of gay, all right? <laughs> you know, let me, I, mean, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but, you know, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of guys in the gym and my Speedos, you know, staring at myself in a mirror, okay? That's weird. I'm not, but listen to me. God says, and the Bible says, that men ought to be strong. And in the Bible, strength in a man is a positive thing. But let me tell you something. This characteristic of, of manhood, being strong, because what does God call the woman? He calls her the weaker vessel, right? So men are supposed to be strong. Hey, husband, you're supposed to be stronger than your wife, okay? Now, you're not, I'm not talking about hurting her or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is this. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed, she's supposed to come to you and say, can you remove this rock from the well? Can you pick this up for me? Can you open this jar for me? Okay? It shouldn't be you going to your wife, honey, can you open this jar for me? <laughs> right? And here's the thing. In the Bible, but this idea of being a strong man is under attack today. And I'll show you in Jeremiah 50. Are you there? In Jeremiah 50, we get, a, we get a picture of the end times Babylon, right? And now I think it's the United States of America. I preached a sermon on that before. I'm not talking about that tonight. 
But we get a picture of Babylon in the end times. We get a picture of this nation in the end times. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about this end times man. Jeremiah 50, look at verse 37. A sword is upon their horses and upon their chariots and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her. And notice what he says. And they, talking about males, and they shall become as women. And they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. Here we're told in Jeremiah 50 about end times Babylon, about this, 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 one of these last nations in the end times. It says that the men are become as women, but it's repeated in Jeremiah 51. Look at it. Jeremiah 51, look at verse 30. Jeremiah 51, look at verse 30. Jeremiah 51, 30, notice what the Bible says. The mighty men, the mighty men, now doesn't mighty men sound tough? A mighty man in the Bible is just a reference to like a warrior or a soldier or someone who fought for a living. And it says here, the mighty men of Babylon have forborn, the word forborn means they abstain or refrain from, have forborn to fight. They have remained in their holds. Their might has failed. They became as women. They have burned their dwelling places. Her bars are broken. And let me tell you something. As we get closer and closer to the end times, you know what, what's becoming of the male today in the United States of America? They're becoming women. Right. I mean, just, just go to the mall. I mean, don't go to the mall. But, you know, go, just go to the mall and, and, and watch the next generation of, of boys. When I was a kid growing up, you know, it was weird to be a queer. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we played a game. It was called Smear the Queer. You know, nobody wanted to be that. Everybody wanted to be manly. Everybody wanted to be tough. Everybody wanted to play tackle football and all that. But you know what we have today? We've got a generation of young people and, children and teenagers that are becoming, and praise the Lord that it's not here at Verity, but I'm saying in our culture out there, we've got men today that are just becoming a bunch of women. They're putting on these tight little pants. They're growing their hair out. They're more into you know, they're putting makeup on like women, and we're just, there's an attack on manhood. And people will look, like, people listen to this sermon, and they'll be like, you're some sort of a male chauvinist, you know, uh, you know you're, you're living in the Stone Age. But listen, God says that he wants men to be strong. He wants men to be tough. He wants men to fight. Notice here, the mighty men of Babylon have forborne to fight. And we're, we're seeing that. I mean, we're seeing that in preachers today. We're seeing that in the independent fundamental Baptist movement that's supposedly led by men, and you got a whole lot of preachers, and they're just not willing to fight. They're not willing to take a stand. They're not willing to say anything controversial. They're not willing. Look, God wants men to be strong. God wants men to stand and fight and preach and be tough. And today, in America, manhood is being attacked. And they want, you know what they want? They want men to be a bunch of weak little sissies, they want men to be just like women, and when are, men are becoming like women in our society today. And we need, to, we need to stand against it. You know, I want to raise strong men. I want my boys to be strong. And you know what I want my girls to be? I want them to be feminine. I want them to be soft. I want them to be, you know, lovely. I want them to be the weaker vessel. But you know what we have today? We have a bunch of women that want to be strong and a bunch of men that want to be weak. And we're, reserve, we're, we're, we're reversing the role. And today, it, you know, it's cool if you're like that girl that wants to go play on the tackle football team. While our boys are a bunch of limp-wristed, you know, I mean, you can't even figure out if they're a bunch of homos or not. 
You know, you, you, now you, you got to give the gospel to, to, you know, before you're like, well, that guy's a homo. But now you just have to try because you're like, he might not be. He just look, you know, it's just glorified in our society today. It's glorified to look weak. It's glorified to be weak. It's glorified. And listen, just, just try to be a man. You know, the Bible says, quit ye like men. You know what that means? It means act like a man. And if you can't act like a man, then just pretend. Just be tough. Just be strong. You know, I, I got, I, 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 and I appreciate it, but I got all these encouraging emails and letters when the whole Orlando thing was going on and we're getting all those death threats and the 600 people were out there protesting. I got all these, these people emailing me and saying, thank you for your strong stand and thank you for your courage and thank you. And you know what I, I used to think to myself, you know, I, I'm not sure that I have a whole lot of courage, but you know what I have is just some dignity. You know, I, I don't know that I have a whole lot of courage, but I'm just not going to stand up and say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to run with my tail, be, you know, between my legs. But, you know, today we have a whole lot of Christians that are, to- we have a whole lot of pastors that are totally okay with running with their tail between their legs. They have no dignity. They have no courage. Here you see, you see, uh, you, you, you see Jacob and he's just like, I'm a strong man. I'm going to take a strong stand. And in the Bible, this is what God wants. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Let me give you a couple of, a couple of cross references. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 7. Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 7. And when I'm talking about being strong, I, I, I am talking about being emotionally strong, okay? And I'm talking about being spiritually strong. The Bible says, be you strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But I'm also talking about just physically being strong. Like men ought to physically be strong. Again, I'm not talking about becoming some sort of bodybuilder, okay, guys? But if you're just, you know, just by nature real skinny or by nature real weak, you know, do some push-ups. Do some pull-ups, all right? Make sure you can beat your wife in an arm wrestling fight, all right? That ought to be your goal. Matthew 11, look at verse 7. Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. And this is about a preacher, John the Baptist. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? I love the, I love the image that Jesus uh, gives us here. Because to me, like, this describes the average preacher in America today. A reed shaken with the wind. Doesn't that just remind you of the average independent frontal Baptist today? I mean, I just think of, like, a, a, a plant just in the wind. And that's how the average preacher is in America today. When he's supposed to preach on sin, he's just like, sodomy's still a sin. And they're just scared. They're just a reed shaking in the wind. They can't take a stand. They're just so nervous. Well, what if somebody hears it? And what if somebody gets mad? If what somebody... Let me explain something to you about ministry. People leave all the time. Just get used to it. People come and go. You serve as a pastor long enough, you'll see them come. You'll see them get on fire. You'll see them get backslidden. You'll see them go. And sometimes you'll see them come back after they've been down in the pig pen for a while. And sometimes you just pray that God will take them down to the pig pen. You know, but the average preacher today, he's just a wind. You know what Joel Osteen is? He's a, he's a reed shaking in the wind. Can't take a stand. Can't, you know, just flip it back and forth, just scared. Notice verse 8. But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. See, John the Baptist was a man. He was strong. He took a stand. He preached against sin and even died for it. And he was willing to do it. Go to Proverbs 24. Let me give you one more. Proverbs 24, look at verse 5. What do you, you say, what, are you, what do you do if you're weak? Get strong. 
Proverbs 24, look at verse 5. If you open your Bible behind the center, you're following the book of Psalms. Next book over is Proverbs. Proverbs 24, look at verse 5. Proverbs 24, look at verse 5. A wise man is strong. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge. Notice what the Bible says. Increased strength. You know, I'm, and I, I think this Proverbs talking about it phys- physically. You know, here, men, just get strong. Okay? Just, you, you, I don't think it's wrong to be, look, I understand that not everybody can just naturally be as fit as I am. <laughs> Why are you laughing? No, you know, no, I'm just kidding, all right? I'm, that's just a joke, all right? I'm, I'm actually a very humble person. I'm actually really proud of my humbleness. And, but but here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the point. You know, you ought to just, you ought to, you, you ought to try to be physically, here's what I think. If God asks you to walk around the walls of Jericho, Seven days in a row, seven times on the seventh day. You ought to be able to physically do that. I mean, the Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. But here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say bodily exercise profiteth nothing. Now, godliness is profitable unto all things. We understand that. And we ought to put our emphasis on the godly and on the spiritual. But bodily exercise profiteth little. And listen to me, guys. If we're going to go into the tribulation time, if we're going to go into the great tribulation time, or even if not, if things just wax worse and worse as they do now, we're going to need preachers who are emotionally strong, who are spiritually strong, and we're also going to need guys that are physically strong. That you're not just going to back off. That you're not just going to be a reed shaken in the wind. That you're going to be able to take a strong stand. And this is a, a characteristic of manhood that's under attack. Today, Satan wants men to be weak. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But you notice what we find about Jacob is that he was a strong man. Now, keep your place there in Proverbs, okay? We're going to come back to it. Keep your place in Proverbs. Go back to Genesis 29. Let me give you another characteristic of manhood that's under attack today. First, we saw that just strength is under attack. It's wrong to be strong. It's wrong to be a strong leader. And if you're a strong leader today, if you're, le- if you're the husband that God called you to be and you're leading your family the way you ought to be, and you're just a strong leader that's leading your family, you know, the world will attack you for that. And they'll call you abusive. And look, I don't think that any man ought to abuse his wife. And any man that hits his wife is pathetic. But, and that's not what we're talking about. But, but in our society today, they, they're not talking about hitting your wife. They're just saying, if you just leave, if you're just a leader, that's abusive. If, if you lead your children, that, if, you, if, if you stand up like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we, sh- we will serve the Lord, that's abuse. And that strength is under attack today. But let me show you another thing that's under attack. We saw, number one, that uh, man being strong is under attack. But number two, I want you to notice another characteristic we see of Jacob that is also under attack. Look at Genesis 29. Look at verse number 11. Genesis 29, look at verse number 11. And Jacob, remember he just threw that big old stone off the well. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept, all right? Now, let me just tell you right now, that I don't think when it says there, Jacob kissed Rachel, I don't think that's the same as what you, you think of or what we normally think of when it comes to, to kissing. That's a cultural thing. And you say, how do you know that? Well, if you, look at, if you keep reading, look at verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, and it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister, that he ran to meet and embraced him and kissed him. You see that? He just, got, he, he just got done kissing his uncle, too, and brought him to his house, and he told Laban all these things. Look at verse 14. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh, because they're physically related. And he, notice Jacob, and he abode with him, Laban. So Jacob abode with Laban. 
the space of a month. So Jacob gets there, and he's there for a month. You know, we, we're told he's there for a month. But notice what Laban says in verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? The word not means nothing. Tell me, what shall thy wages be? Now I want you to notice what's happening here. Jacob shows up, and he's there for a month. But you know what he does for that month? You know, he, he shows up, and you know what he does the very next day? He just gets up early, and he just works. He just finds something to do. He just finds something to get busy. He, he gets up, and, and, and he sees the floor needs to be, uh, you know, cleaned, or he sees that, you know, things need to be done, and there's chores to do, and he just gets to work. And for an entire month, he just gets up every day and works hard. He just gets up every day and works hard. He never goes to Laban and said, hey, do you want to hire me? He never goes to Laban and says, hey, how much are you going to pay me? He just, he just said, you know, I'm here. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what's going to happen. He just gets up, and he works, and he works hard. And it gets to the point after a month of this that Laban feels guilty. And Laban says, look at verse 15 again, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for not? He said, he said you, don't have to, you don't have to work for free. He said, you don't have to work for free. He said, tell me, what shall thy wages be? He said, I, I can pay you for the work that you're doing. And you know what we find out about Jacob? And we'll see this as we go on in the life of Jacob. Jacob was a very hardworking man. And you know what ought to characterize every male is hard work. Amen. You know what ought to characterize every man is hard work. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you go towards the end of the New Testament, you find the T-books. They're all clustered together. First and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Hard work ought to characterize every man. And you know what's under attack today for men? Hard work. You know what TV and video games and social media have produced in our society today? A bunch of men that don't know how to work. A bunch of men that can't work. A bunch of men that don't have enough character, enough dignity, enough self-respect to just get up and work. And here you find Jake. Jacob, was, he wasn't like asking for a job. He just got up and he saw everybody else working and he just said, I'm just going to get to work. He just got busy. He just started helping. And this is a characteristic of men. Men should be hard workers. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's what the Bible says. God says, if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. If you're not willing to work, you should That if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. They're busy, but they're not working. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So you know, what you need to, what you need to develop in, in you as a man or in your children that are males, and, and, and females, of course. I mean, read Proverbs 31. Okay, the, the virtuous woman is a hardworking woman. Something we ought to develop in everybody is this just ability to work hard, to get up and work, to be blessed of God and be a hard worker. Did you keep your place in Proverbs? I can't remember if I told you to keep your place in Proverbs. Go, go back to Proverbs. Now, keep your place in Second Thessalonians. We're going to come back to the, the T-books, all right? But, but go to Proverbs Chapter number 14. But you know what we have today? is a bunch of guys that are not willing to work. And listen to me very carefully. And I'm, I'm going to make this statement, and I feel good about making it, because I don't know. 
I don't know who, if there's anybody in this room that this applies to, okay? But if you're like, if you're a male and you're like, I don't know, 25 years old or higher, and you play video games, you need to just knock that off, Amen. all right? That's ridiculous. The, Bi the Bible, here's what Paul said. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And today we're just raising, I mean, we've got 30-year-old men that are just playing video games. And, and it's like they can't hold down a job. You know, they can't provide for their family. But, oh, they got to that one level of, war, or, you know, Warcraft or whatever. You know, and, and listen to me. Men need to just be hard workers. And, and if you play video games, I don't know it. That's why I'm saying it, because I'm not, you know, I mean, I'd say it if I knew it, but I don't know it. I honestly don't know it. But, you know, here's what you ought to do, men. The hours you spend on video games, go work. Go work somewhere. Go, if you, I mean, if you just got, like, eight hours, that you, you know, a week that you're spending on video games, that means you can at least go get a part-time job. Go make some money. You know, go, go start a business. Go do something productive. Go do some push-ups, you know? Go find some wells with rocks in them and move them up. Maybe you can find a wife that way. I don't know. But do something productive. Men ought to work. Men should be hard workers. Men should be strong. Are you there in Proverbs 14? Look at verse 23. Proverbs 14, verse 23. And you ought to work even when you're not getting paid. You ought to work even when you're not getting paid. Proverbs 14 and verse 23, notice what the Bible says. In all labor there is profit. In all labor, there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to funerary. And I, I want to give this example, but I didn't ask permission, to, so I'm not going to use names. But you know, it was interesting. Something that happened while we were doing all the work here on the work days, it, it was real interesting. Something I, I noticed is that there were people that we were praying for to find the job that we've been praying for like a long time to find work and that God would open up the right door. And, and these people were just showing up every day, working hard, you know, volunteering their time. And you know what's interesting? Like in the midst of the whole thing, they got like the job that they were asking for. God just blessed them. There was other people in our church. I mean, I was told of like certain people, you know, um, developing like a business plan because they started working together they realized they worked really well so they're like so and i think god's gonna bless them you know and then there's other people that are like lord give me a job or lord i need a better job and then it's like hey we have a work day oh i can't show up to that and all labor there is profit and i you know you know what i would do if i needed a job i'd find every opportunity to show god that i'm a hard worker you got a work day yeah i'm showing up to that you, you, you want me to clean? You want me to, you know, what can I do? I just, because the Bible says, in all labor there is work. And here's the thing. Jacob got up every day and worked hard and worked hard and worked hard. And then Laban goes to him and says, what do you want me to pay you? Wrote his own ticket. Wrote his own ticket. Why? Because he showed how much of a hard worker he was. And look, men, you should be hard workers. Whatever you do, just be the best at it. I don't care, what, I don't care if you do manual work. I don't care if you sit behind a desk. Look, I, I, my job isn't manual. I, I write sermons for a living. I create content for a living. I go soul winning, you know, and, and lead a church for a living. But I'm trying to work hard at it. Try to get up every day and give it my effort and give it my all. Why? Because men ought to be hard workers. Men ought to be characterized. But today, men are characterized by weakness and by idleness. Today, men are characterized by wasting their time on silly, frivolous things. You're there in Proverbs 14? Go to Proverbs 12. Look at verse 24. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, 
The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. You want to figure out how to get a raise? Work hard. You want to figure out how to get that promotion? Work hard. You want to figure out how to get to that next level? Work hard. I mean, there are some people that they just work hard, and you, you just see God blessing them. You just see God taking care of them. You just see God doing great things for them. Why? Because in all labor there is profit. Why? Because the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. But the slothful shall be under tribute. Men should be hard workers. Men should be characterized by hard work. But you know what's under attack today? Work. Work is under attack today. And I believe the government has an agenda to keep people from working. Amen. Because the government wants us to be dependent on them. They want to be able to control us. And they want, they want to just make a bunch of slothful, sluggard, lazy individuals. And, and we as Christian men ought to be characterized by strength. We ought to be characterized by hard work. Let me give you a third one. Uh, keep your place there in, 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 in 2 Thessalonians because we're going to go to 1 Timothy in a minute. But go, go to Genesis 29. Look at verse 15. Genesis 29. Look at verse 15. I said, number one, men ought to be characterized by strength. Be strong. All right. Go home and ask your wife to arm wrestle. And if she beats you, then you've got your task. All right. That's your New Year's resolution. Be strong. And then be, be a hard worker. But let me give you a third one. Genesis 29. Look at verse 15. And, and I'm just joking, but I'm not. And Laban said unto Jacob. Notice what it says. Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for not? Tell me. Tell me what shall thy wages be. You don't, you, you don't think that can happen. You don't think you can have a boss. I remember I, when I, before I uh, was in the Air Force, I was working in, in the financial uh, world, whatever that's worth. I was working at a bank, okay, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but, but even before that, I remember there, there was times, and I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to put myself on the pedestal, but I'm just telling you this. One, if there's one thing that I learned, at, you know, growing up in my parents' houses, you work hard, okay. We weren't sitting around playing Nintendo at, at our house, okay. We didn't even own a Nintendo. We're, we're out soul winning. We're out working, you know. I, you know, everybody looks forward to, like, the Christmas break. I never looked forward to the Christmas break because I knew what that meant. It meant two weeks of work, you know. It meant two weeks of my dad's not just going to let us sleep in every day and mess around on Facebook. You know, obviously there wasn't Facebook back then, but, you know, we, we worked hard. And there, there were so many times when I would go to a boss and say, hey, listen, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. I got a better job. And they're just like, how much do we have to pay you to keep you here? And I'm not, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad or whatever. All I'm saying is this. Is that when you work hard, people want to keep you. If you produce for your boss, if you make your boss money, he will pay you what you're worth. And today you got these people following these silly, stupid little plans, these, these you know, made up, get rich quick. People come to me with all these stupid ideas about, well, if you do this and if you do that and if you get in this pyramid scheme and you can make so much money. Let me tell you why that will fail. Because it lacks one thing, hard work. When people tell you, like, oh, you can make a million dollars working four hours a week, they're lying to you. They, they are not rich. And let me just explain something to you. Just because people drive nice cars and wear nice clothes doesn't mean they have any money. In fact, most people that drive nice cars and have nice clothes don't have any money. Because people that have money know, you know, they shop at the thrift store. And they drive used cars. And I know some of you don't want to hear that, but I hope you teenagers are at least listening up to, to what I'm telling you because it's true. And you got people that they look like they've got all sorts of success, and all they got is a whole lot of debt and a whole lot of credit cards maxed out. And then you got people who have money, and they're just driving an old car, an old truck, 
you know, just working hard every day. That's the key to success. What were we? Genesis 29. Look at verse 15. Well, look, look at verse 16. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Look at verse 17. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Now, let me kind of explain what's going on here. Remember, Laban comes to Jacob and says, man, you're a great worker. What shall thy wages be? You're a great worker. What do you want me to pay you to keep you around? And look at verse 16, and Laban had two daughters. Verse 17, Leah was tender-eyed. Now that, you know, there's a lot of debate as to what that means, that she was tender-eyed. I don't know what that means, but I will tell you this. The word tender there is translated in other places in our King James Bible. By the King James translator, it's translated as the word faint, weak, or soft. So when it says she was tender-eyed, it means that she had a faint eye or a weak eye or a soft eye. And I'm, I'm not making fun of anything or, or anything. I'm just telling you what, what it probably means is she had like a lazy eye. You know, for whatever it's worth, that's, God decides to put that in Scripture. But it says, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Now, I want to explain, you know, what's going on here. Because he just got offered a job. And he's like, how much do you want me to pay you? And, and he says, hey, I want you to pay me your daughter. And he said, I'll work seven years for her. You say, what is that talking about? Let me kind of explain uh, what's going on here. Keep your place in Genesis. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And look at verse number 22. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 22. In the Bible, you will often find that when these guys got married, they were expected to present a, a, a dowry. The Bible used the word dowry, and, and other cultures had that dowry. Where, and and it's, not, it's not even something of the past. I mean, I, I think Brother Garrett Kirchway, you know, the, um, the missionary, the evangelist going to Africa, he got married in Botswana, to, and when he married his wife, he was expected to, I don't remember what the n- number was, but he was, expect, he was expected to, like, provide, like, 10 cows to the family as a dowry. And you might think that's silly, like, 10 cows, but cows are expensive. And we're talking about thousands of thousands of dollars that he had to, you know, basically be able to. You say, why do they do that? Here's why they do that. Because you're not supposed to get married until you can prove that you can provide. You've got to be able to provide for a spouse before you get married, man. That's why I refuse to do weddings for guys that don't have jobs. Because if you don't have a job, you can't provide for your wife. And here's what would happen when a guy was poor. When a young man was poor and he didn't have just thousands of dollars to give a dowry for, you know what he would do? He would work it off. And basically what Jacob is doing is for the, he's just, he's he's telling Laban, I'm going to work for free for the next seven years. Obviously they gave him, you know, room and board, but he said for the next seven years, I'm going to work for you because I don't have thousands of dollars to go buy you 10 cows, you know. I'm going to work for the next seven years and I'm going to show you that I can be committed, that I can be serious, that I can work hard, and that I can provide for a family. In 1 Samuel 18, we see, uh, we see something similar to David. 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 22. And Saul commanded his servant, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee. 
Now, therefore, be the king's son-in-law. So they come to David and they say, hey, you ought to be the king's son-in-law. You ought to marry the king's daughter. Look at verse 23. And Saul's servant spake these words in the years of David. And David said, seemeth it to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law? What, uh, seeing, and notice what he says, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. David said, I, I'm poor. I don't have the money to pay that dowry. I don't have that money to be able to show. I, I can't do that. No, verse 25, 25. And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desireth not any dowry. He says, I, The king knows you're poor. He doesn't want a dowry, but in hundred foreskins of the Philistines. You know what he's asking David to do? He's asking him to work. Because what did David do for a living? He fought for a living. He was a mighty man, he was a warrior. So he tells him, basically, J- Laban, you know, Jacob agrees with Laban, I'll work for seven years because I don't have the money. I'll just work for seven years to show you, to prove to you that I can support your, your, uh, your, your daughter. And here, David's basically being told the same thing. He says, I'm a poor man. I can't marry into Saul's family. And Saul says, just go to work. Just go do what you do for a living. Go kill Philistines. Bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Of course, Saul had an an ulterior motive. Look at verse 26. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. And the days were not expired. Wherefore, David arose and went, he and his men, and slew. Notice how David is a hard worker. And slew the Philistines 200 men. He was told to kill 100, but he just goes ahead and kills 200 for good measure. You know why? Because he's a hard worker. He just showed up early, worked through lunch, stayed late. He's wanted to show, I can do this. I can provide. I, I, can, I can be the man that I need to be to be able to provide for a spouse. And David brought their foreskin, and they gave him in the full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you kept your place in 2 Thessalonians, uh, you're going to go past 2 Thessalonians into 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, but if any, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, but if any, provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. See, the Bible commands that men financially provide for their wives. The Bible commands that men financially provide for those of their own house. But you know what? This is a characteristic that is under attack today. Because today we're being told men don't have to provide for their wives. You can stay home and be a stay-at-home dad and let her go off to work because she's going to make more money, you know, because she's smarter than you are and she's got that college education and she's got this and she's got that. Listen to me. In a Christian home, the men should be the ones providing and, 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 and listen to me, ladies, if you got some high, you know, degree, and you're like, well, he, does, he doesn't have that, and I can provide more, that's your fault for marrying him then. You know, let him go work. Let him go make money. And, and, and let me just let you in on a little secret, okay? Let me just let you in on what I've learned in ministry. The people that make the most money are the ones that work with their hands. I mean, people that make more, the, most, the most money at Verity Baptist Church are just, like, working hard, you know, building things. It's the truth. You know, college, unless you're going to, like, be a doctor or, you know, something real specific like a lawyer or something. I mean, obviously, that's different. But if you just want to go to college and get your little stupid liberal arts degree, just go work somewhere. Amen. Just go paint houses. You'll make more money. Amen. Just go build something. You'll make more money. 
I mean, literally, just go build fences. You will make more money. And, but, you know, you, you say, well, why does nobody say this? Here's why. Because they don't want men to be able to provide for their families. Because right. they want, they want, and, and let me say this. Our society is pushing a culture upon us that requires a two-income home. So they'll tell you, like, the, people are told, you have to live in this certain type of neighborhood. You can't live in that neighborhood. You know, they're talking about the neighborhood I live in. You know, you can't live in that neighborhood. You know, but here's the problem. If you go live in that nice neighborhood, then you got to send your wife off to work. That's the problem with that. And if you and if you you, you I'm, you're driving a 10 year old car. Well, here's the problem. If I don't drive a 10 year old car, then I have to go send my wife to work like you do. And I'd rather, you know, I'd rather just eat beans and rice. Amen. I'd rather just, you know, drive an old car and live in the ghetto and try to trust God to protect me. than just go against the word of God and go send my wife to work somewhere. Because the Bible says that men ought to provide for the wife. And let me explain something to you. You say, well, why is this under attack? Here's why it's under attack. Because, our, because the devil in our society does not want men to lead. They don't want you to be the leader of your home. And listen to me, guys. You cannot be the leader while your wife is making the money. Right, it's yeah. just the truth. If she's bringing home the bacon, then guess what? She's in charge. And you got to stay home and change the diapers. And I'm not minimizing the work that ladies do because that's a great work that God has given them to do. And you ladies, you know, you need to just tell your husband, I don't care who makes more money. I don't care where we're going to live. I want to stay home and raise my children and homeschool them. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. You go get a job. And if you have to get two jobs and three jobs, you do that. And quit complaining. And just figure it out. And, the re you know, and today's like, I can't survive. It's like you can't survive in the lifestyle you're living in. But you're not willing to, to humble yourself. And you're not willing to just, you know, you spend more money than you make, and then you wonder why you can't survive. And, and yet, you know, the people living in modest homes, driving modest cars, have money in the bank. And, and you preach these things, and it's like you're talking to a wall. People just don't want to listen to it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to receive it. And you watch them ruin their lives. And it's, it's all in the Bible. Go to work. God will, God will do more for you financially if you just trust him and the men go to work and provide for the families. But this is under attack today. If you're there in 1 Timothy 5, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you know what? Even in my family, I mean, now, you know, the church has grown to a place where I supports me financially and you take care of us generously and we've got full-time staff and all of those things. But, you know, for a long time, I worked a full-time job. Like the first two and a half years of our ministry, I worked a full-time job and never took a penny from this church. And, you know, it wasn't always the greatest financially for us. But we just were faithful, and we just tithed, and we just made it work. We just trusted God, and I've never regretted it, and you won't either. Just trust the Lord. The Bible says, commit your ways unto him, and he shall establish you. First Timothy 6, look at verse 8. God expects you to provide for your family men, but let me tell you what God doesn't expect you to do. God doesn't expect you to become a covetous, greedy individual. First Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 8. First Timothy chapter 6 and, and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, they that will be rich, what that phrase means is they that desire to be rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's something wrong with wanting to be rich. You understand what I just said? There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's something wrong with wanting to be rich. But they that will be rich 
fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is written to believers. So let me just explain something to you. If you as a Christian decide that you're going to make the goal of your life, that you're going to make the goal of your life to make money, you will fail miserably. You will not, and I'm not saying you won't make money, but you'll ruin your life. That's what the Bible says. But they that will be rich, notice what it says. First uh, Timothy 6, look at verse 8. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 9. But they that will be rich fall. It doesn't say they might fall. It says fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's nothing wrong with being rich. And in fact, God uses rich people. And all throughout the Bible, God used rich people. But here's what you need to understand. All of those rich people did not have a desire to be rich. God just blessed them. They just got up every day and worked hard and honored the Lord with their finances and honored the Lord with their time. And then God blessed them. But if you make it your goal to be rich, you will fail. You will fall into a temptation and a snare. You will ruin your life. You will not succeed. Because here's the goal of every Christian. Your goal and my goal ought to be this, to make enough money to support our families and to freely be able to serve the Lord. Some people are so financially a mess that they can't even serve God, you know. I think God, God wants you to be able, you know, go on vacation and live in a, look, if you can live in a nice house, live in a nice house. I don't want you to live in my neighborhood. Then you'll be bothering me all the time. You know, go live somewhere nice. But, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the goal. Your goal ought to be, your prayer ought to be, Lord, help me make enough money to support my family, because that's what you asked me to do, and to freely serve you, and to not have all these pressures that don't allow me to serve you. But, but, but here's the thing. If you just decide, I don't need to be rich, but you work hard every day, you know what will probably happen? You'll be blessed financially. And you see that throughout the Bible. You see, we'll see it in Jacob's life. He just worked hard every day, and God financially blessed him. The men should be providers, and that's under attack today. So what are the three things that we saw that characterized Jacob? He was strong. He was a war, hard worker. He was a provider. And all those three things are under attack today by our society. Men, they, they want men to be weak. They want men to be lazy. And they want men to not be able to provide for their families. Now, go back to Genesis 29. I'm, I'm already out of time. I got like five minutes. Let me shift gears real quick and give you just one uh, couple of more thoughts, and, and we'll finish up. So the first part of the chapter, we saw these characteristics of manhood in Jacob. Do you see how Jacob was a pretty manly man? I mean, he wasn't just his mama's boy. You know, he worked hard. God blessed him. He provided for his family. He was strong. But I want you to notice the, the other thing we learned from this chapter, Genesis 29, look at verse 19. And Laban said, remember he said, what will thy wages be? And he basically says, I'll work seven years for Rachel, thy daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee, than that I, you know, that give her, to Rachel, to thee, Jacob, than that I should give her to another man, abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days, for the love he had uh, for her, he was so in love, you know, those seven years just flew by. And Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled. The so seven years that we agreed upon are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. Look at verse number 22. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. This is the wedding ceremony. And it came to pass in the evening that he, this is Laban, took Leah. 
Remember the older daughter. His daughter. And brought her to Jacob. And he, Jacob, went in unto her, Leah. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Ziplah, his maid, for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou, don't you notice this word, beguiled me? The word beguiled means you tricked me. It means you deceived me. If you don't mind writing your Bible, I'd like you to write right next to this verse here in Genesis 29, 25. I'd like you to write this, write this phrase. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Remember what Jacob did? Just turn a couple pages back, Genesis 27. Look at verse 35. Genesis 25. I'm sorry, Genesis 27. Look at verse 35. Genesis 27. Look at verse 35. Remember what Jacob did? And he said... This is Isaac speaking after he was deceived by Jacob. And he said, thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, has thou not reserved the blessing for me? And I want you to notice what happened. Jacob pretends to be the elder brother to deceive his father, and then Laban takes Leah and has her pretend to be the younger sister to beguile Jacob. So what is all this about? It's this. You reap what you sow. If you trick and deceive, you will be tricked and deceived. Go to Galatians chapter number 6. We're we're almost done. Galatians chapter 6. Let me give you three statements about reaping what you sow. Galatians chapter 6. Jacob, this is like the big you reap what you sow story in the Bible. Jacob lied. Jacob deceived. Jacob manipulated. Jacob pretended. And then he was lied to. He was deceived. And people pretended against him. Now, let me just real quickly. I got to finish up because I'm out of time. And we're studying about redeeming the time. So I better not waste your time. But let me just give you a couple of statements about Reaping what you say, you, you sow. Galatians 6, 7. If you'd like to write these down, write these three statements out about reaping what you sow. Number one, you will always reap what you sow. You will always reap what you sow. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You're not going to fool God. You're not going to get away. You're not going to pull one over on God. You may pull one over. Listen to me, kids. You may pull one over on your dad. You may pull one over on your mom. You may pull one over on your wife. You may pull one over on your husband. You may pull one over on the pastor. But you're not going to pull one over on God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And please understand, this is not a punishment. This is just a law. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's just a law that God established. It's neither negative or positive. It's just, it is what it is. You will always reap without exception what you sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. But let me give you another statement. Not only will you always reap what you sow, but you will eventually reap what you sow. You will eventually reap what you sow. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. See, Jacob, 
See, we just read about Jacob deceiving Esau in the last chapter, right? But in the life of Jacob, it happened seven years ago. Can you remember what happened seven years ago? Seven years ago from today, I was not a pastor. Seven years ago from today, I was in the United States Air Force. Seven years, from to, seven years ago from today, for me, was a whole different life. And seven years ago for Jacob was a whole different life. And a lot had happened. And a, and he, and a lot had, had transpired in his life. And he probably thought Esau forgot about it, Isaac forgot about it, everybody forgot about it. But you know who didn't forget about it? God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, even eventually. It will catch up with you. You will not run away from it. So I said, number one, you will always reap what you sow. I said, number two, you will eventually reap what you sow. Let me give you one more statement. Go, go with me to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 8. If you go back towards the end of the Old Testament, you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Hosea chapter 8, look at verse 7. I said, you will always reap what you sow. I said, you will eventually reap what you sow. Let me make this last statement and we'll finish up, all right? Number three, you will reap more than you sow. You will reap more than you sow. The seed always produces more. I take one seed and plant one tree, and that tree will, will produce more than one seed. You understand that? You will always reap what you sow. And we see it in Scripture. Hosea chapter 8, look at verse 7. We're almost done. Five minutes. You, that's why you have to be here for the morning. you got to actually be awake during the morning service to get the jokes in the evening. That's how it works. Hosea chapter 8, look at verse 7. For they have sown the wind. No. For they have sown the wind. And they shall reap the wind? No. They shall reap the whirlwind. You see that? So why does it say that? Because you always reap more than you sow. All I sowed was the wind. But you reap the whirlwind. All I, I just, it was just one lie. It was one desire. I didn't waste seven years of their life. I didn't, I mean, it, I, I reaped a lot more, Jacob would say. It cost me a lot more, Jacob would say. Here's why. Because you always reap more than you sow. You always reap more than you sow. And it will eventually catch up with you. And it will always, always happen. Go back to Genesis. We're going to go back to Galatians in a minute. Go back to Genesis uh, twenty. Uh, nine. Let me just show you, explain to you the passage, and then we're going to go back to Galatians, and then we'll be done. Okay? I'm not joking. I'm being serious. Galatians 29. Look at verse. Look at verse 25. Galatians 25, 29, verse 25. And it came to pass, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And by the way, that said of Satan, that he beguiled the woman. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country. To give the younger before the firstborn. Laban's like, ah, did I forget to mention? Did you not read the fine print? <laughs> you know, Laban's a bad guy too. Look at verse 27. Fulfill her week. Okay, their wedding took a week long. She said, just fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve for me yet seven other years. Okay, so they had to serve another seven years for Rachel. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Let me ask you the question, uh, a question. He didn't work another seven years before he got Rachel. He worked seven years to get Rachel, got Leah instead. And then a week later, after that ceremony was done, after he fulfilled her week, he got Rachel, but he had to work another seven years. So this whole, you know, stealing the birthright from Esau caused Jacob 14 years of his life. 14 years of hard work. Because you always reap more than yourself. Galatians, uh, uh, let, let's finish, look, look verse 28. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week 
And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel. And he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll start up right there in verse number 31. But go, go to Galatians, just real quickly, chapter 6. And let me just show you one more thing about reaping what you sow. Because this idea of reaping what you sow can be kind of scary, right? Because it's like you will always reap what you sow, and you will eventually reap what you sow, and you will reap more than you sow. And that can be very scary because we've done a lot of silly things, right? And we think to ourselves, oh, man, all of this is going to come back to get me. But here's what I want you to understand about reaping what you sow. It's not a negative thing, and it's not a positive thing. It's just a thing, okay? It's like a law of nature, all right? It's like gravity. It can kill you, but it's not negative. It's just, it's consistent is what it is. And I want you to notice, Galatians chapter 6, look at verse number 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, those of you that love money, shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit uh, reap life everlasting. Notice the, neg- the positive, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not. See, it works the other way, too. If you reap good things, if you, I'm sorry, if you sow good things, let us not be weary in well-doing. If you do good and sow good, guess what you reap? Good. And you will always reap it. And it might take some time, but it'll happen eventually. And guess what? It'll always be more than what you did. So you say, well, pastor, I've got this past, and I did this, and I did that. It's going to come back to get me. What do I do? Here's what you do. You start doing good right now. You start living right right now. You start showing forgiveness right now. You start being graceful right now. You start being kind right now. You stop lying right now. You start working hard right now. And you know what will happen? Eventually, you will reap what you sow, whether it's good or bad. So you decide. What do you want to sow? Because it will happen. It will always happen. And it may take some time, but it will happen eventually. And you'll always Reap more than you sow. So be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories in the Bible that we can learn from. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn the positive characters of Jacob and help us to learn the negative ones. Help us to look at Jacob and see a hard-working, strong provider for his family. And help us to see an individual who has to deal with some things. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to not only have the wisdom to know what we do with, to do what we, with what we've heard, Lord, but help give us the courage to be able to man up, to be strong. Help us to begin right now. Help us to begin right now to sow in well-doing. Because in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Help us to, Lord, let that promise be a comfort, and not a curse to us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to gather together. Thank you for our church family. In your precious name I pray.